Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with High Performance Manager at Port Adelaide Football Club, Darren Burgess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 129 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So delighted to get another high quality practitioner on for a part two. So delighted to get Darren on and must thank David Opar for reminding Burjo that he needs to come on and, and have another rant for, uh, for a part two. So thank you to uh, David Opar for that. So in this episode, we have another dive into the state of the industry, which is really interesting coming from Darren, who's been there and done it at various different uh, various different levels. Um, we also go into recovery, and we touch on a lot of the things that we did in part one, and just get a revisit and just see where uh, Darren's at with his his views on certain subjects. So heart rate recovery, uh, heart rate variability, different recovery methods, um, fingerprint drills, hamstring hamstring rehab, that kind of thing. So loads of good stuff coming up in this episode. The bad thing is there's just so much messaging, you know, to do Nordics, not to do Nordics, to do a movement base, to squat, to not squat, to, you know, to do MAS, to not do MAS. Uh, what evidence can you use? What can't you use? It would just do my head in. Um, and, and unless you're kind of helping the young guys and girls out in the industry, there there's a lot of mixed messaging. Just before we get into the episode, I must thank the sponsors of the podcast today, who who are Coach Me Plus and Valve Performance Makers of the Nord Board. So, massive thanks to the guys down at Coach Me Plus, Kevin and all his team for the work that they do um, and allowing me to keep this podcast going in its current form. And also the guys down at Valve Performance. So if you haven't checked either of them out, make sure you do. I really appreciate all the support they continue to give the podcast. So, over to the episode with Darren Burgess. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So, today I have the pleasure in speaking to High Performance Manager at Port Adelaide Football Club in Darren Burgess. So, welcome to the podcast again, Darren. Cheers, Rob. Thanks for uh, having me for round two. That's good, mate. It's good to have you. So anyone that didn't listen to part one, which is probably two, two and a half years ago now, just want to give people a bit of a background on you um, what you've, and what you're currently doing. Uh, well, I'm currently, as you said, uh, a high performance manager of Port Adelaide Football Club. been here for, for four and a half years now. Um, we're in the AFL in Australia for those who are, who are listening elsewhere. Um, and prior to that, I was the uh, sports science and fitness coach or head of sports science and fitness. I think that was the official title at Liverpool Football Club in England for uh, two and a half years. And then before that, I uh, had, had a similar role with the Australian soccer team uh, leading into the, and including the 2010 World Cup. And then, uh, yeah, I've, I've done my PhD in, in um uh, talent identification and and uh, analysis of team sports using GPS. So that, that probably probably uh, is the the more important parts, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think I remember last time we talked about Luis Suarez. 
on what it was like working with him, but he's kicked on big time. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, he listened to everything that I said, and um, he's he's kicked on well. He's look. It's, I still love watching him play, and and uh, yeah, it's it's not hard to uh, to enjoy watching those guys run around. Yeah, nice. So one thing that we we chatted about beforehand, and I know you um, you were interested to have a little chat about, and that was the the state of the industry. And there's there's been a couple of podcasts that I've uh, that I've done with the likes of Darren Roberts and Grant Jenkins and a couple of others that have kind of discussed this topic. And I'd just love to get well you to communicate on when we're live um, the kind of concerns that you have. Um, well, first, my first concern is. Well, I guess my first concern is having Darren Roberts on the podcast. I want to wait for an hour. That was for Twice me. Twice as well. Twice. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, no, look, uh, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just getting a bit old and cranky. I've, I've been here for, for 20 years and, and probably when guys like myself and Darren uh, started off, you know, we didn't have obviously social media or, or the internet for that matter. Um, so I went and, and just had a look at at my library book and my library collection and I've kept every book that I've ever bought and, you know, I was out delivering pizzas and doing personal training and, and every dollar that I earned I spent on drill books, programming books, books like Super Training and, you know, some great Mel Sif stuff and, and you know, just the real basics of programming and stuff that uh, while I was at uni, I mean, uni doesn't teach you that. And so I went out and, and literally bought, uh, I reckon I've got 50 American uh, soccer drill books and about 30 UK CDs and DVDs, um, drills of the top coaches, um, just so I could learn. And and I guess I'm just a bit worried that some of the young guys coming through are, are being told to read books on leadership and, you know, communication and things like that and say that the most important things are having a relationship with your athlete and not the actual programming. And I think, you know, if that was the case – I'd go and get Michael McIntyre to be my strength coach, you know, just because he could make them all laugh and, you know, have a bit of a gag with them. Um, I think the programming is absolutely essential and only when you've mastered that, and I don't reckon I mastered it for sort of 10 to 12 years in the industry and I made a hell of a lot of mistakes, then you can start to work on the other skill set that you might need to develop. So that, that's that's a bit of a... You know, a bit of a concern of mine that with social media and, you know, everyone's posting videos and photos of themselves exercise, uh, you know, performing exercises with people and in the gym and, you know, and that's okay because people are self-promoting and, and you know, I haven't seen too many people post a video of themselves with an athlete or an athlete working out saying, what do you guys think? Give me some feedback. It's more like, how cool is this exercise I'm doing? Please leave a comment and tell me how good I am. Like the, I think there's a big difference. Um, and uh, I think we need to be just a little bit careful that we get the programming down pat and then work on the relationship side of things. Uh, because I guarantee you at the, at the top level, if you – uh, if you mess up the program, the athlete is not going to want to know you. Um, and uh, if you injure an athlete and, and 
prevent him or her from achieving their goals, then it doesn't matter how funny you are or how much of a legend person you are, um, they're probably not going to uh, uh, sign you up again or pay you money again or, or whatever sort of uh, work you're involved in. So uh, I'm just thinking, you know, if I was a young guy uh, coming through the ranks and, you know, I'm listening to uh, to a lot of the you know, the fantastic content that you can get on podcasts and social media. I might be a bit confused about what I should be learning about and what I tell, you know, the interns at our club and people that I speak to is, is get your programming right. For sure, I'm not dismissing the relationship side of things. And so please don't think that, you know, you need to be a dickhead with a good program. Um, you know, you, you, you have to have a, a certain way about you, but, um, Get your program, your periodization right, your exercise selection right, your exercise order right, all of, all of those things. Um, and uh, once you you learn to get that down pat, then I think um, you know you, you can then work on the other aspects of your game. And and you know the books I'm reading at the moment are are, uh, are a mixture of the two, certainly. Um, but I I would uh, yeah I'd just give that advice to people and not necessarily. Um, you know, not every exercise that you watch or that you look at um, can apply to your own situation. At the moment, I'm dealing with 45 players and uh, I certainly can't look at their every single player's uh, athletic positioning and athletic stance when we're doing agility drills and and it's just impossible to do. When they're in the rehab process, absolutely. You know, we've got Maccas who you know, Ian McCown and and Tim Parham, who do uh, Nick Richardson recently, who do an outstanding job um, of of doing some running re-education and agility re-education when the guys are in rehab. But uh, outside of that, it's it's pretty tough to do. And, and often, when I look at some um, some stuff on social media, I've given myself a bit of a ban lately. But I'm I'm, I'm back on. And and if I look at it a little bit, uh, I, I start to think, you know, should I be adding that? Should I be doing that? And then realise it's it's pretty impossible. So as a as a young person who's you know might be heavily influenced by some of the senior statesmen in the game uh, in in our industry, um, you know, I'd just be a bit cautious about it, it trying to employ everything. And the other thing that I think anyway, people uh, probably uh, don't realise enough is the best the best high performance managers or fitness coaches, whatever you want to call them that I've come across, they aren't actually that active on social media and yet everybody thinks that the best place to go for your information is social media. It's absolutely not. You know, guys like you know, Jason Weber and Matt Hornsby and uh, these guys, uh, you know, even guys like Tony Strudwick who's active on social media but not what he does, you know, there's a big difference. So, you know, I don't think you, you need to get all your information from social media. I think there's there's other better ways of getting uh, your, your programming information and, and your education. So that's my seven-minute rant on the first question. So it could be a long interview or very short questions, mate. So that, that's just, you know, a little bit uh, – I just see that trend coming in and I just think we need to be a bit careful. Why do you think it's gone that way? Uh, really good question. I think um, – I think there is an element within our industry that A, want to tear other people down um, and B, want to self-promote, you know, because there's only a few jobs around. Um, It's not, you know, I I can't open the paper and see a job for a fitness coach or a strength coach or an athletic development coach. You know, my sister's a teacher and and my brother's in finance and there are jobs everywhere for them. 
Um, so I, I think people self-promote and and so they they look at you know they want to post the cool exercises that they're doing and and that kind of and, and then it kind of feeds itself. Um, you know, the, I think it's. It's a little bit cool to say, you know, hey, I was just chatting on the phone to David Joyce today. I was just chatting on the phone to, you know, Rob Pacey today and post it. Just just actually text the bloke and say, good to chat. <laughs> Don't post how much fun it was chatting to somebody, you know. That, I'm going to do this up straight after this. I'm going to do this straight after this. <laughs> Please do. Please do. So why do I think it's gone that way? I, I, that's that's an element of it. I'm not saying that's the only reason. I'm not saying everybody who posts are into self-promotion or trying to get a job. But, you know, I don't think that's the case. Um, and, you know, I've probably, if you, if somebody who's got a, too much time on their hands might go back through my Twitter feed or Instagram and see one or two of those, but uh, they certainly wouldn't see any lately. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the answer to it, why it's gone that way. I think um, sometimes our, our industry um, sort of promotes those kind of out there characters and, and um, you know, people that, that probably um, – yeah, I think one of the other issues while I'm while I'm on the soapbox is that we overestimate our our impact on team performance. Yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, probably the Leicester example is a really good example. Now, you know, same team, same same fitness team, yet the results have gone down for completely unrelated um, uh, reasons. So, you know, I, I don't think. Uh, maybe I said this last time, but if I didn't, I, I should have. Um, best piece of advice I ever got was that fitness will never win you a championship, but it could lose you one. You know, and I think that's that – I've tried to run with that philosophy that if you've got the most talented team and you've got a poor program in place and periodization in place, and uh, I think that could really mess you up. But I think the – the teams that win the leagues around the world, you know, you have to look at the NFL with Belichick and, and uh, you know, that, those guys, that's got nothing to do with fitness or S&C or, or anything like that. It's just athlete talent and coachability and you hope that you can you can sort of help out in some small way. So I think within our industry maybe we, we put a bit too much importance on, you know, on, on the uh, – uh, on what we do and and probably misappropriate credit and that's doing apparently doing myself out of a job in the future but um <laughs> but just yeah I think I think we just need to to chill a little bit and and make the small gains where we can and and acknowledge that that's the case. I think one of the reasons for, for especially for the for the increase in videos and things I think it the marketers within organisations are and it could be coaches who are um, kind of branching out into the marketing realm are actually trying to promote not only themselves but their organization and their department within that organization. Exactly right. Exactly so right. It's not, it's, it's not only – so maybe these people who are putting these kind of things are being driven by the people behind the scenes who are telling these guys to do this because it's good for their, well, reputation and not yep. individual reputation but organization and department reputation. Absolutely, no doubt. And – and, the, you know, the club that I'm working at at the moment, which I absolutely love in Port Adelaide Football Club, we were massively guilty of that in the first couple of years when I came back. And I always remember when I was doing these interviews that, honestly, I, I had no desire to do. Um, my dad's advice is stick your neck up and you get shot at. And uh, we, 
we stuck our neck up and then we had two good years and that's fine when you're going pretty well but then we've had two bad years and and we've been shot at from 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 our department as well as our club from a- anybody um even people without guns have been taking a pot shot so um we we built that rod for ourselves so we're going to wear it so that's fine um but i think you're right as well and and that's probably something that i should acknowledge in terms of when i see other people post that sort of thing not not be too quick to judge the actual person posting because there might be some some uh, uh ulterior motives or other reasons or people pushing from behind the scenes mm-hmm. and one thing that's really interesting that, that i heard you say was that y'all seeing stuff online and thinking oh shit should we be doing that yeah if so if you're thinking that someone that's in your position what are the interns that you've got thinking they must be very 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 confused what they should be and shouldn't be seeing Absolutely. I, I just would not be wanting to come through our industry right now. The, the, the good part is that there are more jobs than when when I was going through it. Um, you know, there, there was hardly any jobs. I was a, in the same position with Port Adelaide from 2005 to 2008 and there was two of us employed in the fitness department. That's it, managing 45 people. And now um, I've got probably nine that, that I manage within fitness and then probably another eight or nine within the medical department, whereas there was two and three, you know, 10 years ago. So that's the good thing. There's more jobs around and, and uh, particularly in the AFL, which is a great industry for guys like, you know, you and me to work in. But the bad thing is there's just so much messaging, you know, um, to do Nordics, not to do Nordics, to do a movement base, to squat, to not squat, to, you know, to do MAS, to not do MAS, uh, what evidence can you use, what can't you use, um, you know, it would just do my head in. Um, and, and unless you're kind of helping the young guys and girls out in the industry, there there's a lot of mixed messaging there. And, and I think... Um, you know, people need to be, like I said, just to be careful what they what they read and, and which evidence, and this is in, in peer-reviewed journals as well as in, you know, Johnny the CrossFit trainer, um, the same rules should apply. You, you, you should have a look at it and use a bit of common sense and see whether you can apply it in your situation or not and whether it's, it's adhering to sort of sound programming principles. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd hate to come through now. It's, 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 it's pretty brutal, I reckon. Cool. So one thing I wanted to do was actually revisit the, the podcast that we did two, two and a half years ago. And it'd be interesting to just to see, firstly, if anything's changed uh, and if it is, why. And one thing that we discussed quite a lot was daily monitoring. And you went through your kind of daily monitor routine that you do with the guys. It'd be interesting to just go through that again um, yep. and just give us an insight into into what you do. And then people can listen back and see how, see how that maybe changed. Uh, uh, well... What we do at the moment um, is, is we do a questionnaire, a wellness questionnaire, a few times a week with the boys, um, which is your typical wellness questionnaire. We we use a sort of a rescue um, derivative, um, which our our head of sports science a guy called Stuart Graham, who's um, is a, is really as good a sports scientist as I've worked with in this area. Um, uh, he's looked at and and um, so we like that. Um, we. We do a, a heart rate variability uh, assessment still um, using first beat, um, uh, which which we like. There's a there's a little bit of, I guess, um, practical adjustment I'll call it um, in in the way in which we get the heart rate variability. In that it, you know, the real 
heavy hitters in the heart rate variability world would say that it's it's probably not as reliable as it could be and not as standardised. But in, in my situation um, with 45 players, we, we like it and we think it gives us something. Um, we uh, do usual RPEs um, for post-main training, rehab and strength sessions. Um, and uh, in terms of daily stuff, that's about it. We do a weekly screen post game and and um, um, and each week in preseason anyway. Um, and we do a, a heart rate recovery test, which is a, a submax yo-yo test, which I probably spoke about last time. I've been doing the same one for for uh, well, just over ten years now. So. Um, yeah, that that's, that probably covers most of the monitoring that, that we do, as well as a a sleep questionnaire and then a a, a sleep follow up analysis. If guys are flagging a bit with their sleep, we'll, we'll start to measure sleep a bit more directly. Do you do any any jumping? Ah, uh, we do. So that's part of our weekly screen. Yeah, so okay. um, it's not a daily thing, but it's part of our weekly screen. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so anything, anyone that doesn't isn't familiar with the, the heart rate recovery stuff that we discussed last time, just want to give us a little, little bit of in-depth, well, a bit more in-depth of, um, of what that entails? Yeah, we do a, a, a Submax Yo-Yo IR2. So we do the first four minutes of the Submax uh, Yo-Yo. So the guys start off at stage 11 and it jumps you know, reasonably quickly and it finishes at stage 20, level two or three, I think. I should know because I've been doing it for 10 years, but uh, let's go with three. Um, and uh, uh, and then they recover for three minutes and they just literally stand still and they can't talk or anything like that. Um, and so we have a look at their heart rate um, predominantly in the last minute of the test as well as their heart rate, how quickly it recovers from that standard um, activity and we do that uh, at least weekly in pre-season sometimes we do it more than weekly and then in season um, whenever the days in between games allow it so whenever we have a seven or eight day break in between games we'll do it then so at least every three weeks we'll do that um, since since probably the last podcast we've we've published it um, journal of strength and conditioning research through one of our interns a guy called Chris Verglers um, so we, we validated it and, uh, and and published it, and so it's out there uh, somewhere. I can send you the link if you like. But um, it, yeah, look, okay. I've used it for ten years, and it's it's a great test. And there's probably there's probably about another dozen or so clubs around that that are, I know are using it because it's a four minute test. It takes people to around about eighty to eighty five percent of their max heart rate, um, which is which is what you need out of a submax test, and and um, yeah, so it's yeah, we we think it's a good test and it and it gives us an indication of fitness levels on on return to play with injury guys as well as um, you know the state of the the squad because we can do forty five players at once. Do you do you do any sort of um, along them same lines like fingerprint drills that may use the accelerometer or our GPS? Yeah, we we've, we've certainly played around with it and we've we've got another. Um, PhD student uh, called Joel Garrett who's with us and he's uh, looking at uh, variations in stride rate and stride variability based on some really good work by Alec Butfield who's uh, a pretty sort of prominent biomechanist around the place and um, so we're trying to apply that in our setting and and we're, we're coming up with, with some pretty promising um, results in, in just looking at more um, the variations in stride 
um, and the and the two D player load in in catapult and and some just some X cells and D cells in a in a standardised um, running pattern that we that we give the guys at the start of each training session. So um, we used a fingerprint drill about two years ago and just found it was. It was a bit too jumpy and a bit too shaky, and that's that's obviously one of the problems with GPS. Um, but we're yeah we're exploring this option and 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 think that there's something in it. Hopefully there is for Joel's sake. So um, yeah, let's hope so. Nice. So with the with the weekly stuff, obviously you mentioned a little bit about the jumps. Can you can you elaborate on that? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's pretty standard. There's nothing that we're doing that's that's top secret. We're we're doing a uh, a counter movement jump, a drop jump, sorry, and a counter movement jump, and um, we're using um, uh, opto jump, and we're also using some basic physio screen stuff, so some groin squeeze and ankle dorsiflexion lunge. Um, and uh, uh, an isometric hamstring stuff. We're using the Nord board. Um, and I think that's about it. And then with some guys that have had some, you know, some hip pathology and things like that, we'll do internal and external rotation and a Thomas test, um, but we won't necessarily do that on, on everybody. Guys that have had calf issues, we'll do a, um, a calf test, you know, maximum amount of calf raises that they can do and... Um, but again, we won't do that on everybody. We'll just identify those guys who've, who've had some history in that area. I think that's about it. I think I've covered most of the stuff that we do weekly. As always, just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Darren. Hope you're enjoying part one. In this little break, I just want to draw your attention to a recent article that went out on strengthofscience.com, and that was from Tom at Leinster Rugby. And that talks about how he uses velocity-based training to develop maximal strength. So not only is it, it not only is it a good article theoretically, but um, it is basically a case study of how he does that at Leinster and the methods he uses with a couple of Excel tricks in there thrown in, which uh, I know everyone seems to love. So it's a really great article from Tom and not only the why he does these kind of things, but how. So uh, I'd encourage you to check that out. And that draws me um, quite nicely onto thanking uh, Train With Push, the makers of the Push Band, for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, so 128 with Chris Chapman, Chris talks about what's going on at, what's going on at Push um, and the the new free movement option that is now in the software, which is really exciting. Uh, and a really cool direction that the, the company's going in. So if you haven't checked out Push and the Push Band, make sure you visit trainwithpush.com. They've also got a very good blog um, with lots of guest writers from Eamon Flanagan to uh, Dan Baker. So make sure you check them out. So over to part two with Darren. Hope you enjoy and chat soon. So one thing that I wanted to, to run past you, and it was it was again going down the social media route, and just what I'm what I'm seeing and, and reading people people chat about and get unreasonably heated about for some reason, um, and that was firstly Nordics, which you touched on a little bit there. I'd just love to get your view on on that side of things. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting debate. I listen to Mike Boyle's uh, view on it, and I, I love Mike's passion and enthusiasm, and yeah. and uh, and just just almost black and white um, nature of it. I, I quite like that about him. Um, 
to be honest, I was white and now I'm black or black and now I'm white. I, I don't know which way and hopefully that's not racially insensitive. But um, <laughs> um, the uh, if you saw me move, you would know well and truly that I'm white. But uh, we um, – so if I take – Take it back five years to um, to say the Liverpool days. Um, uh, myself and Phil Coles, who I think you had on a podcast, he's now at San Antonio Spurs, and and uh, um, Phil and I have worked together for a long time, and I think he's outstanding. We we would have heated arguments in front of the other staff about about Nordics, and and uh, I was in the anti Nordics camp because they're a specific, and there are better ways to get. Uh, you know, a hamstring eccentric strength up and fascicle length done, and I was well and truly, and, and you know, it would get to the point where guys like Jordan Milsom and those guys who are in the room would think we we're about to have a fight, and that's just how Phil and I went. And as soon as the, you know, we we all agreed on a path, we were just fine. But probably since then, uh, and I did apologise to Phil when I I um, saw him recently. Um, I've probably changed my view. That, uh, there's a lot of the research which which indicates. Um, you know, Nordics are really good at, at increasing fascicle length, at, at strengthening hamstrings, and and uh, if you speak to guys like Dave Opar and Ryan Timmons, they are in the camp of look, we don't necessarily know why they work, we don't necessarily care why they work, we just know that they do, and there are a whole range of other exercises that work, but in you know when you're dealing with with expensive athletes um, who have put their their trust in you, we have the theory mostly of just just put them in and rule it out as a factor. You know, just put them in, then do some of your other you know really fancy eccentric uh, hamstring work and really movement based work, which which we do and I think are, are super important for for guys in our sport. Um, but I, I can't think of a sport or a or an athlete that I wouldn't be giving them to. Not necessarily because I think they're the be all and end all, but I think you can rule them out as a as a as an influencer. If you do have hamstring injuries, you can just say, you know what, we're doing them. Um, so that's not the reason. What 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 might be the reason? Because most of the research suggests that. They offer a protection mechanism, and there, there's uh, there's one or two papers that, in fact, one only came out last week, which I noticed suggested that Nordics don't increase fascicle length, and so it, it may well be that in time, um, you know, may, many people suggest that they don't, but the research at the moment says that they do, and we know that fascicle length plays a crucial role in hamstring protection. So. Um, I, there are a lot of other exercises that would increase your fascicle length, but we know absolutely that Nordics do. Are they specific? No. Do they mirror any of the contractions that you see in in uh, in elite sport and elite athletes? Probably not. But most of the stuff that you do in the gym don't mirror doesn't mirror um, what you see out on the field, yet it, it, it still works and we still do it. So um, I, I just think that they're a, a box tick. Do them, do them well, do them super maximally, and and then move on to the to the more, um, I don't know, sexier or relevant or, or um, specific parts of your program. But we certainly include them, and and I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't. So, have you seen a positive change in since you've switched camps? Oh, as I have. Far as the yeah, yeah, I have. Um, yeah, and the interesting thing is you can still get increase in Nordboard scores 
without doing naughties because we've got guys that um, that have patella tendon issues and and um, you know even have hamstring tendon issues that we're a little bit more cautious with with our with our naughties. Um and and you know Macus comes up with a range of other exercises that that will increase. You know, and the usual exercise that will increase um, Nord board scores. Um, but what what we have seen so far is, is you know, with things like fascicle length, um, Nordics seem to have the the best impact. Um, and so so we we put them in, and and most of the the good strength coaches and and um, and high performance managers or whatever you want to call them um, seem to have the same view. They're like, look, I don't know why they work, but I'm just putting them in anyway because most of the research says that they do and and until I'm convinced otherwise, I'll just put them in. So I'm certainly not in the Nordborg camp, but, uh, uh, you know, as in uh, the Nordic camp, sorry, as in I absolutely love them and can't get enough of them and you have to do 100 a week because that's what the research says and all that sort of stuff. But we include them and, and, and I think they do offer some hamstring protection um, um, for, for all of our players. So another thing that I saw just very recently, maybe in the last 48, 36 hours, was a little debate regarding foam rolling. Uh, yeah. massage yep and i just wanted to get your opinion on that there was a little bit of discussion in regards to foam rolling before foam rolling after foam rolling at all and it just began to good to get your thoughts <laughs> look um i still play uh over 35 soccer and uh every sunday morning uh well yeah i'd like to th- i'm one of those <laughs> strikers who does no work We'll get a tap in from a yard away and then celebrate like he's volleyed it from halfway and ignore my teammates. So that might answer you. That might answer your question. But uh, I do do a little bit of running around and and uh, I'm I foam roll uh, and Mac is all laugh because he doesn't see me and he, he I come into the gym and do about a twenty minute upper body circuit and then leave. Um, but I, I phone roll at home and, and it, it feels good at the time, but the next day I'm still just as sore as if I haven't. That's my personal experience with it. With my players, um, we do it um, and, and I, I think it works reasonably well as long as you're aggressive with it. And the same goes with massage. I can't find too many research articles that categorically state in fact, I can't find any that massage has improved muscle elasticity, muscle power, muscle function, any of the areas that, that you and I are concerned with, you know, daily with our players. But the players love it. And when I survey the players, which I do each year, and say which recovery modality do you like the most, it's massage. And as we know from, you know, from Christian Cook's research, that player selection is is crucial with recovery. So, um, so do I think it's a fantastic recovery tool? No, I think there's better out there, um, but uh, our players love it. So we do do foam rolling in preparation for, for every session and we do certainly do massage and every player has to have at least two massages a week and most of them will, will have three. Um, uh, not necessarily, and this is this is a perfect example of the evidence base stuff. The evidence for massage is crap, but um, but we put it in because the players like it, and uh, and you, you you literally cannot put a price on that. What do the what's the players' view on foam rolling? Yeah, they again they they like it, and and probably partly because um, you know Maccas is a big 
uh, is a big fan of it, and we've we've really advocated it. And, and players in the AFL in all clubs, and, and particularly our club, are really, um, you know, they're really compliant and and really buy into what you give them. So if 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 I stand up in front of them and say that foam rolling is good, or if makers does and massage is good, then they'll they'll uh, mostly um, you'll obviously get a lot of you know, some players who don't have a bitch and moan, but our guys love it and they self-select it now before games and before training. So, um, so yeah, they're certainly a fan. So with regards to other um, recovery modalities, do you, like you said, do you give them the range of stuff and they can pick whichever one they want? Yeah, we do. And, and recently uh, there was a Facebook post out about some researchers, I think in out of New Zealand that showed that, you know, ice bars were a waste of time, and I honestly, I must have got 22 of the 45 players who tagged me in that in that Facebook <laughs> post. Um, so, uh, but that that research was done on on super cold ice baths, and most of the research that we now know suggests that you know ice bars above 10 and below 15 degrees are probably around the mark. Whereas I think that was done on six or seven degrees or something like that. But anyway, we, we certainly. We have a couple of non-negotiables that we give our players, so things like nutrition and and um, compression, um, and on occasion certainly ice baths. Um, but after that, and you know, the day after, we we give our guys a choice, and and uh, most because of where we live and the climate that we're in, most of them choose the beach. And uh, I, I could not think of a better recovery modality than than spending you know twenty minutes, half an hour in the beach in the water, and and just moving around, doing some stretching, and and um, that's that's as as good as you get. And and we're lucky enough where we live to to give that. But certainly after the game, we give give guys some non-negotiables, and then uh, and then they can choose a couple of others uh, around that. Is there any times when the lads aren't? aren't given the opportunity to do certain thing because of how you think they react to that certain thing. Yeah. And, and, and again, if I, if I guess if I go back to, um, back to Liverpool days, um, we, we had three day turnarounds and four day turnarounds where we were playing in the middle of Turkey on a, on a crucial Europa League tie against Besiktas or something like that. And we would, we would have to literally go straight to the plane. So the players did no recovery. And, you know, I had my Australian sports science hat on thinking we're screwed on Sunday against Arsenal because we've done, you know, we haven't had a ice bath. But, of course, you know, those players are so used to that sort of routine that, you know, they turn up on the Sunday and their pro zone scores are just as good as, if not better, of as the Thursday. So, um there are many occasions and we had guys like Tim Cahill who played for Everton on a Saturday then come out and play for the Socceroos on the Wednesday, score, do well and then go back and play for Everton again on the Saturday and we got his pro zone scores before and after and there was literally no difference. So, you know, another one of those things where, uh, you know, I think we've become a bit of a recovery culture. Um, so there are times we recently played a game in a town called Mount Gambier, which I, I'm sure you visited on your recent trip out, Rob. It's a, it's a big tourist hub. Um, it, uh, <laughs> it's a five and a half hour bus ride um, from where we are. And for our players, that was a completely foreign experience. And so, you know, we, we just said, look, you'll be fine. Don't, don't stress. We had a game seven days later and, you know, there was a little bit of talk about, oh, that's not the best recovery, but – You'll be fine. You know, a lot of it is um, is overplayed a little bit, and and so we 
we didn't give them ice bars because they wanted to get out of there straight away and, and just made sure that they had nutrition and, and, uh, and compression and, and just hit what you can and, and accept what you can't control. And uh, I think it, as long as your, your 24-hour period after your game is is reasonably well managed and they, they have a few non-negotiables in there, then I, I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And with regards to the compression garments, are you using like a medical grade compression? <laughs> Yeah, we use we use two times U and and uh, and they're about as good as as good as you can get for for compression. So um, yeah, they're they're sort of been the most researched in the AIS to to be um, to be good. And we use medical grade uh, socks when we when we do long haul flights. We've got a game in China um, in about two months' time, so we'll we'll ramp up the compression a little bit for for that game. But um, uh, yeah, we we. I think compression is 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 crucial, and and I just tell the guys to stay in it for as long as you can sort of tolerate it, you know, for forty eight hours after the game. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'm going to let you go, but first I'm just going to thank you for your for your time and coming on for a uh, part two. But where can and I'm probably hammered a little bit about social media, but where can people <laughs> yes. get in touch with social we media? Um, look, <laughs> one thing that. Uh, that I've always said I do, and and so far I've been good to my word. Is if people ask questions, I'll always answer it. Um, because I, when I was um, uh, going through uh, as a as an undergrad, I sent ninety three letters out to uh, um, English football clubs, soccer clubs, because um, letters were back in the day to to say give me a job, and uh, I got three responses back saying you know no. Um, uh, I might have mentioned this last podcast, so I apologise if I have. But uh, and I thought it, once, if if I'm lucky enough to be in a in a good position, um, I'll always try and help people out and won't be a prick who says no, I'm too cool and what have you. So any any time, I'm really happy for people to reach out. But I, I do have Twitter, which is uh, at Darren Burgess twenty five, um, and uh, that's probably the the easiest way. Um, to, to reach out, um, Facebook as well, but I tend to use that just for, for family stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can, I can certainly give you my email as well. Um, and I'm happy for you to put that up and, and people can, that's, uh, uh, Darren Burgess 25 at hotmail.com. And, um, very happy for people to reach out and have a chat and, and, and I quite like the debate and um, I'm, I've certainly made a lot of mistakes and will continue to do so. So uh, I don't think at all that I, I know it all and still got heaps to learn, and, but I, I love that part of the of the game that we're in. Brilliant. Well, um, again, we'll keep in touch and uh, good luck at the start of the season. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. I appreciate you having me on again. Thanks, mate. Speak soon. Cheers, Rob. Ta. Thanks for joining myself and Darren Burgess in episode 129 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode. So if you are enjoying the podcasts and have been enjoying them for some time and you listen on iTunes, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you'd be kind enough, leave a rating and a review on iTunes so other people can uh, easily find the podcast and hopefully enjoy the information as much as you guys are. So thanks again for your support and some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks uh, including Alex Wolf, head of SNC at the English Institute of Sport which is another great episode so I hope to speak to you soon and I'll catch you later